Good morning, church. My name's Donnie. I have the privilege of serving as one of the elders here, and it is my joy to be able to share the message with you this week. Just a reminder, we are going to be taking communion today, so make sure that you have those elements with you and prepared and ready to go. We are continuing in our series of looking at Corinthians chapters 5 through 7, Sex, Suits, Spouses, and Singles. And I was going to wear a suit today, but given the title of the message, I, I didn't think it was appropriate because the title of the message is No Suits. So, no suit. Um, if you've been following along, uh, great. If not, I want to encourage you just go to our website or our podcast and catch up on the first two teachings, uh, you will be encouraged and inspired, and I hope you encouraged and inspired today. We're going to be looking at chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, and I'm going to read that for us, and then we'll jump in and see what Paul has to say to us and what God desires to do in our hearts. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 1 through 8. If any of you has a dispute with another... Dare he take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, appoint as judges even men with little account in the church? I say this to shame you. Is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? But instead, one brother goes to law against another, and this in front of unbelievers. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers. There are three aspects from this passage of Scripture that I want to focus on today. The first is their problem. The second is their position and the third is their posture. Now, as we have looked at the beginning, the, the church is a messy place. And Paul is seeking to try to help to remove the mess and refine the process of becoming more like Christ. And in this part of the scriptures, we have the problem that is facing the Corinthian church is frivolous lawsuits. In verse 1, he basically lays it out for us. This is what he says. If any of you has a dispute with another, dare he take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the saints. Now, what's going on here is it's frivolous lawsuits. One person in the church is suing someone else in the church. And Paul looks at this and he says that this is something that should not be taking place. And the reality of it is, is that this is basically really just kind of what's going on in the Corinthian culture. Similar to our culture today, it was a litigious society. 
People were suing people left and right, trying to gain more financial resources or income through litigation. And in the Corinthian courts, it was basically if you were wealthy, you had a better opportunity to win a case because you could bribe the judge to influence the outcome for your case. And in a lot of situations, the wealthy were taking the less wealthy to court and taking their wealth away from them in order to expand their wealth. Similar to what happens today when you look at people's court or Judge Judy. People going to court to sue each other, typically friends or ex-friends, unfortunately family members, neighbors, for minor incidences that could be resolved among themselves, but they want to make a little coin and cheddar. So what do they do? They sue. Paul looks at this and he says, this is not what should be happening. Rather than going to the saints, you go to judgment rather than seeking out a brother or sister who can help arbitrate between the two parties. And with that, Paul is laying the foundation for the next few verses. The problem with litigation, suing a brother or sister in Christ over things that should not matter. And this was taking place in the Corinthian church, which leads us to the second aspect of what Paul is really wanting to address, their position. And when we talk about their position, he's talking about their position in Christ as kingdom people. Now, the Corinthian church was comprised of a large number of people who grew up in Corinth or around Corinth and were unfamiliar with the Jewish ways. They were familiar with the Corinthian ways, which were not of the best quality. Sexual immorality, people taking advantage of those with little means in order to gain prosperity. And Paul says, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? Are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more than the things of this life? Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, appoint as judges, even men of little account in the church. I say this to your shame. It is possible that there is no one among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers. Instead, one brother goes to law against another brother and this in front of unbelievers. Paul points this out. And he speaks these words because he is trying to remind them and encourage them where they stand. They have been redeemed by the blood of Christ. They have been transposed from the people of the world to the people of God. And in their actions of litigating one another, they are acting more like the world 
rather than acting like kingdom people. And it is Paul's desire to help them to understand who they are. And he reminds them that they will judge the angels. And this is in reference to the end times when Jesus comes back and lays everything to rest. And all of those who are in Christ, who has received Christ as Lord and Savior, as he lays final judgment on those who have chosen not to accept who he is and what he has done on their behalf and give them what they have chosen to receive, which is life separated from him. He reminds them that they will sit with Christ as he declares away from me those who do I do not know. And we will judge even the angels who have fallen away and rebelled against God. So for the Corinthians, this is a call back to living life as a follower of Christ rather than following the world in which they have been moved away from in their relationship with Christ. He says, I say this to your shame or to shame you. Because this is something for the Corinthians that is just natural. It's a natural state of life. It is okay. It's just par for the course. And Paul says, no, no, this is not good. You should be ashamed of yourself for even thinking that this is something that God would approve of. Because after all, God provides everything that we need. He provides everything that the Corinthians need. They have no need of any resources other than what God has provided in them in Christ already. And in the context of the church, we are supposed to care for one another rather than stripping away from each other the things in life. And what the Corinthians are doing is they're living more like the world rather than kingdom people. And Paul says, shame on you. This is not good. But remember, You are a child of God. You have been redeemed by Christ. And as I encourage you and I implore you and I admonish you in this, know that God is offering you forgiveness and is desiring and encouraging you to move back into right relationship with your brother and with God. Living as kingdom people and not as the culture around them. And that can be hard to do. I know oftentimes I find myself falling into the trap of just living like the world around me rather than living like Jesus and separating myself from the world. And I know this was hard for the Corinthians because Corinth was an affluent society And having affluence meant that you had influence. And they wanted to have influence in their society. They wanted to be a part of the culture because it was all that they knew. 
It was what was the breath of their life. And now they're being called to live to a standard that they are not used to. And they mess up. They trip, they fall, and they live like the culture around them. But Paul says, no, that is not what is required of you. And God is not going to leave you there. And I'm not going to leave you there on behalf of God. I'm going to encourage you to something better, something more. I'm going to encourage you to remember that you are a kingdom people and living by kingdom standards. And in that, we have the wisdom of God. It's what he's saying. Is no one wise enough among you to judge between you two, to arbitrate, to stand between you and help give right discernment with this issue that you have? Rather than turning to a brother or sister in Christ, you go before a court of law that is ungodly and that knows God not and judges according to the world. Paul says, as believers in Christ, as people of God, because the Holy Spirit is within us, there is someone among you who loves you, who knows you, and who wants the best for you that can arbitrate this situation and bring glory to God rather than just trying to appease your fleshly carnal needs and desire for affluence and influence. And he says this, again, to their shame. Not to be mean, not to be critical, but to spurn on towards chasing, running after Jesus and living for him and living into everything that they have been called to be as followers of Christ, living in their gifting, living in their talents, and being an encouragement for each other, being a support for each other, rather than tearing each other down and tearing each other apart, but finding reconciliation with each other in Christ, with a mediator who understands what, that what God's desire is for them individually and collectively to be reconciled, and to have the, re the relationship restored and put in good standing rather than being stressful and unfortunately, a lot of times in civil suitcases destroying. I mean, Paul's admonition in strong language is just an admonition of love. There are those within the Corinthian body that have the wherewithal because of the presence of the Spirit to be able to help two people who are in disagreement find common ground and to live in peace with each other. The last 
aspect that Paul addresses is their posture. And he references their posture in verses 7 and 8. And this is what he says in verses 7 and 8. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong. And you do this to your brothers. Paul addresses their posture, their their heart posture, as they engage with each other. And he says that you should be okay with being cheated or wronged, but rather you cheat and wrong and you do this to your brother. And, and really what he's talking about, he's talking about a posture of humility versus a posture of arrogance. He's talking about a posture of selflessness versus selfishness. Because in the context of litigating brothers, it's arrogance that moves us to try to take from one person so that we can have more. And he says you should be okay with being wrong or being cheated. And I believe that he's flashing back to the teachings of Jesus, which one of the annoying things about Jesus is that he's persistent and consistent with his teachings, with what he says about the kingdom and kingdom people. And I believe that one of the things that he is, has in mind as he's saying you should be okay with being cheated and being wronged is when Jesus says, you've heard it say, it said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, pray for those who persecute you. If someone wants your cloak, give them your cloak, give them your tunic. If somebody wants to sue you, give them what they ask for and give them more. If someone strikes you on the cheek, turn the other. That is a stance of humility. That is the stance of Christ. And that is the stance that he is calling the Corinthian church to. You shouldn't worry about trying to get more and be in that stance of arrogance. Be like Christ, who owned everything in the world, but forfeited it all. As we follow Christ, as we allow the spirit of Christ to move in us, then we're not concerned if someone tries to take something from us. We hand it over gladly because we serve a God who provides for our needs. And we know that whatever goes out, God will provide more for us to sustain us so that we can be who he has called us to be in life. And that is what Paul is calling to. He's calling to a place of humility rather than arrogance. 
He's calling to a place of selflessness rather than selfishness. And that's what the litigation was all about. It was all about me getting what I want, setting myself up in life so that I'm comfortable no matter what happens to my brother that I am litigating against, a brother in Christ at that. Not trusting that God will provide for the needs. Not trusting that if I say it is okay for you to take from me, that God will provide what has been stripped away. And in doing this, he says that they cheat and do wrong themselves. They live according to the world. And what they are doing in reality is they are living opposed to the gospel. They are committing actions that devalue the gospel rather than living into the gospel, they live as if the gospel is null and void and empty. And Paul calls them out on that. He says that you should be okay. And and what it boils down to is what Jesus says in, in Matthew 5, 37, and this is living out the gospel. A new commandment I give you, love one another. Even as I have loved you, love one another. And by this, they will know that you are my disciples. What the Corinthians are doing here with litigation is they're living diametrically opposed to the gospel. They're living in a way that devalues the work that Christ did on the cross and in his resurrection and choosing the world rather than the savior of the world. And it is Paul's desire to call them back into that covenant divine relationship that was offered to them in Christ. Because here's the reality, as far as litigation is concerned, it is God who had every right to sue us for everything that we have, but he chose not to. He chose not to. What he did instead is he gave his son to pay the price that we owe our very lives. And he took Jesus's life rather than ours. If anyone had the right to sue, it's the God of the universe. And rather than doing that, he gives us everything that he has in his son, Jesus. And this is what Paul is calling the Corinthians back to. They have everything they need in Christ. 
And because of that, they should live their lives in love, especially to each other. Because that's what Christ did to us. And he is our brother. He is the first of our brethren. And his love is beyond compare. But we're called to live like that. And this is what Paul is calling the Corinthians back to. See, this whole thing of litigation, yes, litigation is bad, but what it is doing is it is taking the Corinthians away from the power of gospel life and allowing the gospel to live through their lives and in their lives. And that is why Paul is so stern. That is why his language is rough and harsh because it is this tough love that the Spirit will use to bring the Corinthians back to that place where they desperately need to be in the arms of Christ, in the favor of their God, living the gospel through their lives. Litigation was a sign that the gospel was not being lived in their lives and they needed encouragement. They needed strong words, strong admonition. And Paul writes these words in order to bring them back to that right place of living with a holy and righteous and just God, imploring them, encouraging them, and directing them to remember their position kingdom people redeemed by a loving and gracious God with kingdom power from a kingdom God. And because of that, living with each other in that love that Christ extends to us individually and allowing that to be shown collectively because it is through that love that we have for one another that we express to one another that shows the world that we are followers of Christ. And that is what Paul calls back to, living your life in a way that the world will know that you are a follower of Christ. As we prepare for communion, I just want to remind you that going to a court of law, it is a weighty thing. And ultimately, it is what we deserve. But God, in his infinite wisdom, has chosen not to bring us to court. He's chosen to put his son on trial. And that's what communion is about. As we take the bread, we're reminded that 
Jesus gave himself in place of us. That is where we should have been on the seat of judgment. But we're not. Jesus is. And we're reminded that when we take the cup, the wine, that the price was paid. That our lives should have been poured out, but weren't. Jesus spilled his blood instead of ours. And because of Jesus giving his blood, giving his body as a substitutionary death for us, the price of sin is paid. And we get instead what is rightly Jesus's. A relationship with the Father. A relationship with the triune God. And we're reminded that we receive something that we do not deserve because Jesus took what we deserve. I want to give you some time to just meditate in that. Take the bread, take the cup. Think about what Jesus did for you because of you. Think about his love expressed to you in that event on the cross. And after you've meditated a while, take the elements and rejoice that we have a God that loves us deeply and has provided everything that we need. Let me close us in prayer. Daddy, I thank you that this is the God that you are. A God who loves us enough to write hard words, write strong words, to encourage us to look to you and your love for our lives. Lord, help us to continually to turn and seek your face and seek your way of living for our lives. Even when we are at, at odds with the way that the world lives, may we be willing to express love that you express towards us. First and foremost, to our brothers and sisters in Christ, but also to those who have yet to come to know you. May we live our lives in such a way that our love pervades with each other. And people look at us and say, they must be followers of Jesus because of how they love each other. 
I ask this to your glory by the power of your spirit. In Christ's precious and holy name, amen.